3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a work market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer after a relief day. Where the Dow advanced 62 points, SB inched up 0.21%, Nasdaq dipped 0.01%, all of which, by the way, were much stronger than in the session at various times. I think it's worth thinking about why it's been so darn hard to staunch the relentless bleeding in this market. Yeah. Now, some would say it's the destruction of FANG, the high profile growth basket I put together years ago. Others argue it's the fact that we have so much uncertainty. We know the Fed will be aggressive with its rate hikes, but not how aggressive. We know Putin will be crazy in Ukraine, but how crazy? And China, how long will they continue to lock down rather than accept Western vaccines that can end this madness? But as a stock picker for my chapel trust, which you, of course, can find out what I'm doing by joining the investing club, I've got an entirely different take. The chief reason that this market has become so difficult is we finally have not so hot earnings. Yet, Wall Street's not adopting its usual posture of buying stocks that issue NABF results. That's not as bad as feared. NABF. Now, six months ago, you get away with NABF all the time. Forgiveness reigned within two or three days. Not anymore. Case in point, Netflix. This is one of the worst performing stocks of the year, to the point where it's now valued at less than $380 per subscriber, the cheapest it's been in seven years. Going to the quarter, Netflix had already been cut in half. If that decline, you might have thought, you know what? There's no way the numbers could be as bad as feared, right? I, but they were worse than feared. Hence, why the stock's nearly been cut in half again in barely more than a week. The stench of Netflix has stunk up all subscription services, including Spotify, even though it had actual growth and truly not as bad as feared numbers. It doesn't matter. The stock's down again anyway, because we're no longer forgiving. It's an unforgiving market. Of course, there are tons of stocks that can rally now that they've come down hard from their highs. But we need to figure out what can make those rallies possible. What needs to happen for them to rebound and not fall off into the Netflix, Netflix crevasse? So I've been searching, searching. I've come up with a new tripartite system of grading stocks for this moment. First, we have the exclamation point, and that's for good news meaning the stock's entitled to go up despite the broader sell-off. This is what we're looking for. Second, well, then there is the question mark, chess master, meaning it's going down pretty much no matter what. And then I've got my new favorite that I really love, and it's called the asterisk, meaning if it would have been a great quarter, or more importantly, if it weren't for an asterisk. Right. The asterisk things all the time. And then you fill in the blanks. If it weren't for X, the asterisk might not be doing that well, but they've got a good excuse. So maybe we'll buy them. Let me give you a few examples. Later tonight, we have Al Kelly on the show from Visa when they reported last night. Oh, my God. The numbers were extraordinary. Way better than expected. Tremendous car growth in the U.S. as well as the rest of the world. The one exception being Russia, which represented four percent of the business last year. They had to walk away from it. Despite a considerable loss from shutting down Russia, and I mean considerable, Visa's numbers were so good that the stock surged more than 6%. How did they do it? you got to stay tuned. we got Al Kelly, CEO. But right now, when you think of Visa, you should think of this. Next, how about Microsoft? Here's a stock that was down hard in after hours trading last night because a news service had an erroneous account that Microsoft's Azure cloud business failed to meet expectations, even though it's growing at a 46 percent clip. Can you imagine people do this? They still trade off this stuff no matter what I do. I mean, like, should I just like, give up? I'm mean, 18 years. I'm just going to just one moment. I'm my executive producer. Yes. How many years have I said don't trade after hours if you don't know what you're talking about? 16 years. Okay, good. I wanted to clarify that. Anyway, like Visa, Microsoft had a weakness. And the weakness, gaming, which was down high single digits. Whoa, really scary. Even though they're buying Activision Blizzard, you could argue gaming indeed has peaked. But the rest of the business is firing on all cylinders. That's why Microsoft, initially being down hard, ended up jumping nearly 5% today. So... All right, now how about, yes, the ill-fated, and we all know this from watching some Netflix show that was about chess. I, we don't remember anything from Netflix anymore, right? Uh, what's the question mark? All right, well, that would be Boeing. Now, I don't have the words to express how truly bad Boeing is. They're the kind of words you can't say on basic cable, or maybe even, like, even on, like, I don't know, dot-com. Let me put it th- like this. If the world had four or five commercial jet makers, Boeing would be the short of a lifetime. But there are only two of them, Airbus being the other. So there's a limit to how awful this business can really get. We had a big position in Boeing for the travel trust. and We initially caught a nice rally selling some at a nifty profit. But we made the mistake of keeping the rest. At this point, there's almost nothing going right here. I'm as fed up as a really nice person named Jim Labenthal. is my friend from Scott Half Halftime Report, who actually called for CEO Dave Calhoun's head. Hey, he mentioned it on a platter, like it was Alfredo Garcia's. Yes, demanding that he be fired. It was an amazing moment of TV, and I have to tell you, the litany of excuses is going too long. There's so much problems with making Air Force Ones. I mean, what about Harrison Ford? I don't know. Still no China deal, not to mention no Dreamliner for sale because of FAA safety issues. Boeing just can't get its act together. Like Leibniz, I'm wondering if maybe the stock simply can't go higher as long as Calhoun remains as CEO brutal verdict. Finally, there's the area that I find most intriguing, the one where I think that we're going to find in the future of 2022 the most used, and that's companies that get asterisks. The earners get an asterisk there's something away from the company that went wrong, something you can easily explain away, something that had nothing to do with the company itself. So maybe the stock is worth buying here because it could get forgiven later. An asterisk report is subject to interpretation. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, depending upon the way it is presented. Last night, we had two asterisk stocks. First was Texan, Texas Instruments. And uh, then the second was Alphabet, which also used to be known as Google. The first, a gigantic semiconductor company reported a not-so-hot quarter and then gave a very disappointing forecast. Stock plunged six bucks instantly, blink of an eye, sat there. But those of us who then bothered to read the release, which I did after Boeing in 96, not that great, and listened to the conference call, became convinced that Texas Instruments actually had a very good quarter. It just had a big hole when it came to its Chinese clients. The lockdown crushed them, not themselves. It was actually the full of the stars, not uh, Caesar. So I put an asterisk on it. Texas Instruments would have had a great quarter if China didn't have such a suboptimal COVID strategy, which means it should be able to recover once the lockdown ends. Well, sure enough, Stock opened down hideously. People were fleeing like rats on a ship. And then people accepted the asterisk around, like, say, 1030 and took the stock back up to the point where it actually closed in the black. Yes. Of course, this is what we have, kind of what we have done for you lately, markets. you're probably saying, thanks for nothing, Jim. I didn't get to make any money on the tech system. So listen to me. You've got an alphabet asterisk. Yes, this decline off last night's amazing quarter was an absolute travesty. Everything here was all systems go from search to YouTube, the booming Google Cloud business. But there was some weakness in the European YouTube ad business. How do you like it? Ukraine's in Europe. Who would have thought? Which is how this became a so called missed quarter. I say, this is the sign you should think of when you think of Alphabet. I mean, there's a big war going on in the region. I mean, so, what were they supposed to do? What did you expect? I think we'll look back and say, wait a second. That excuse makes sense. So once the war runs its course, you'd wish you'd done some buying. By that point, you'll be too late. The asterisk will be removed, and alphabet stocks will be coveted once again. Then there's meta platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook. When they reported after the close, the first thing you might have noticed was a revenue miss like that of Google. And then the second quarter revenue guidance was a bit light. But the market asterisked, what was that all about? Well, guess what? Their daily active users, many thought they had dropped off a the cliff. They were up 4%. They also beat on the bottom line by 16 cents and cut their four-year guidance by uh, expense guidance by $3 billion. I didn't expect that. So what started as kind of, you know, let's just say an ugly asterisk ended up as a beautiful exclamation point in just a few minutes' time. Here's the bottom line. Exclamation point, yes question mark, no, asterisk, maybe, just maybe. And that's where the money can be made after the earnings, because there are the decent ones that haven't run yet. Matt in Missouri, Matt.
4: Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Matt from St. Louis here. Long time, first time. How are you doing today? I,
3: I've been chill lately. My daughter told me that the message people all love me. I don't need to read them anymore.
4: <laughs> uh, we all love you. Yeah, I know. Uh, You're, good you. to go. You're good Thank you. Thank you.
3: She said I'm they love me. She says, I'm just, the problem is I'm actually reading it upside down. How can I
4: help? I think I'm around your daughter's age because I love it. We love you. Take it with that. Yeah, April's been a rough month. Hopefully, May will bring brighter days. Yeah, I agree with that. I wanted to start off saying thanks for all that you do real quick. I started reading your books out of college 10 years ago, and it wow. served me very well. Should I write yeah, another book? The, Should I write another book?
3: I've yeah, been debating it so, in my uh, head. It's exactly what I
4: was saying. A lot has changed over this last decade. I, I got out of college in 13, and boy, has time changed. I read back at Get Rich carefully, and I look at the times now. Boy, would yeah, you need to write one for the next Then That's
3: exactly what I'm gonna do. Let's make money together. I love it. Let's do it.
4: Let's do it. All right, Jimmy. So, hey, real quick, dude, if you ever make it down to Missouri, you always got a spot in my duck line. I hadn't
3: you know thought that. about that, but it's now on my bucket list. What's going
4: on? It, it better be. So, here's my question. But this, which, before this recent broad-based market fell off, the stock look like it was setting up for a big breakout, similar to what Costco and Walmart did this month, earlier this month. Okay. Despite the charts, this domestic retailer seems to be fundamentally undervalued when compared to its peers. It's blown under the radar this year, despite posting record revenues, record profits, and record growth. Wow, record, record, cost- record. What's the name? Record. All right, here's one. I'll give it to
3: you real quick. It's Target. Oh, oh, come on, man. Why do we have to even spend any time on that one? That is what I regard as being... House of Pleasure. All right. Brian Cornell rocks. You know, he's from Whitestone. Not but far from the wife. She loves it when I call her the wife. Like when I talk about the Baconators in the whole world. Exclamation point, yes. Question mark, no. Asterisk, well, frankly... Maybe, and that's where the money can be made after the earnings reports. Oh man, money tonight! Mattel reported earnings after the bell, and I'm getting to the heart of the toy maker's quarter with the CEO. Then travel is booming, and the consumer's spending. So how about buying Visa? Checking in with the company's top best. And from the F-150 lighting to its first quarter results after the bell, there's a lot to discuss with Ford. People are selling it, and you know what? They don't know what they're doing. I'm covering it with the top brass, David Kramer. Tonight, the Wall Street Journal reported that Mattel, one of my absolute favorites, one of the best stocks we've ever seen here on Mad Money, the toy maker with a great turnaround story, has held takeover talks with a couple of private equity firms. Sent the stock up surging nearly 11 percent today, although probably would have been up big on the quarter. Yeah, because Mattel reported the kind of quarter that shows you exactly why these P.E. firms circle. The big toy maker posted much better than expected sales, up roughly 20 percent year over year, along with a surprise profit. If there was one less than stellar element in the it's Mattel merely reaffirmed his full year forecast rather than raising the numbers. But I would have done the same thing, given that Wall Street's consensus earnings estimates were well below that forecast. I'm not concerned. So let's take a closer look with the non-crisis, the turnaround artist, chairman and CEO of Mattel. Learn more about the takeover chatter, these excellent results and what's going to be in the future. Mr. Kreis, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me. Uh, all right. The one thing I want to be able to do is tell people to buy Mattel stock. But if it's going to be taken away from me to a private equity firm and there will be no Mattel, I think that's a shame because you're taking this thing to 30 without that. So can you put these rumors to rest?
7: Well, as you would expect, we don't comment on speculation and we're focused on executing our strategy. What I can say is this. This was the highest first quarter we have on record, both top line And bottom line, our momentum continued across the business with double-digit growth in Barbie, Hot Wheels, and Fisher-Price. We have started the second quarter with strong consumer demand. The full-year outlook is also strong, and we expect to grow market share. So overall, outstanding start of the year, and we are firmly in growth mode. All right. Well, once again, he's got to push back a little. I mean, there's a guy who bought a
3: company. It was a second rate uh, social media company the other day with his own money. I get that. That's his own money here. I think that you are money. And I think that people want to bet on you and, and keep going on, on Mattel now that it's the first. It's just, this, is, this is the breakout quarter. Tell me that with the big movie Barbie ahead, you really want to just say, you know what, I'm done
7: here. Look, the Barbie movie is going to be an incredible thing. It's now in principal photography in London, and we could not be more excited about Greta Gerwig's vision and creative execution for what is shaping up to be an iconic cultural event with an all-star, including Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Simo Liu, Will Ferrell, America Ferrer, and more. So we're very excited, not just about the Barbie movie, but everything else that is going on, and we focus on executing our strategy.
3: All right, so July 21st, is it going to be the big thing that I remember? The old Enon Cries, the Hollywood guy? I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, because this is going to be the biggest movie of the year, correct?
7: It's going to be incredible. As I said, we could not be more excited. We have a date, we have an incredible story, incredible director, great cast. We could not be more stunning, uh, excited by what is proving to, uh, pro- promising to be a stunning, stunning uh, uh, creative execution and representation. Of what Barbie means to fans all over the world.
3: All right, if it weren't for Barbie, I'd be talking about one of my absolute favorites, J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot. Now this is another you know, Hot Wheels. When you came in, Hot Wheels, Cold Wheels. Now it's Hotter Wheels. How you doing it?
7: Again, one of the most prolific creator and filmmaker of our time, J.J. Abrams, partnering with us to produce Hot Wheels, another key franchise for Mattel in partnership with Warner Brothers. This is going to be another great imagination of one of our franchises on the big screen. This is top of 12 other projects we now have in the making, 12 other movies we're producing or developing right now, and on top of 13 television shows and series that we're going to put on air in 2022, Uh, nine of of which are new. So a lot of activity, a lot of excitement for Mattel Mattel content. All right, well, look, I was Uh, fearful uh, this quarter. Uh, that China,
3: with COVID, would stop making non-essential products. How is it that you did not skip a beat in your Mattel supply chain?
7: Well, our supply chain is playing a key role in our success. All of our factories are fully operational, and we're working in close collaboration with our retail partners to make sure that there's product on shelf to meet consumer demand. It's not that we're not seeing issues and challenges, but we are able to work through them and meet consumer demand. And this is clearly a key strategic advantage for Mattel. Well, then I, I want to be pro se for a second. Why did you
3: not raise guidance? Is this just not the, the game? Is that this is the game that Wall Street plays,
7: but Yanon doesn't? Well, it is uh, the first quarter. We have three more to go. We focused on execution. Very confident about the rest of the year. We reiterated guidance. And uh, remain focused on uh, doing what we do best, which is continue to grow the company, continue to deliver profit, and create shareholder value. Right. So it just does seem like that when I keep coming
3: back to it, it's dolls. And when I keep coming back to dolls, I think about what you did, which is that you realized that uh, there are more people who don't look like, say, me and my wife. There are people over the world who look very different. And that must be, I think, a continuation that you recognize what the world looks
7: like versus what you and I grew up with, correct? Exactly right. Each of our brands has a purpose, a meaning, a reason why we make this product. And we focus on quality and, and value for consumer, but always about a clear social message that represents important values that we all, all subscribe and, 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 to and believe in. Barbie inspires the limitless potential in every girl. And this has been a key part of the success of this incredible franchise, up 12% this quarter, finishing as the number one global doll property. And, you know, we invest heavily in innovation. We believe in the brand purpose. And we see that resonating with consumers at level that the company has not seen in years. And when you compound that with the great content that we put out there and Touching consumers on so many levels, you get incredible results. And this is not just with Barbie. This is across the entire portfolio and part of the Mattel playbook. And a key part of
3: our success. All right, well, one last question. So uh, Roblox looks like people started going outside. They're not being inside. We've known that video games have definitely slowed down. We heard from that from Microsoft. You have inside things. These are things that are done inside. It turns out that post-pandemic, you got stronger. Why are you the only one who bucked
7: the post-pandemic opening? People are still staying at home from a Mattel. You know, we have a very clear strategy. We have very strong brands that resonate and touch consumers. And we continue to grow our toy business across multiple categories, across all regions. And at the same time, we reach and engage consumers in other verticals, other areas, whether it's content, consumer product or digital games and other digital experiences. We see it in video games. And also, we also see it with NFTs and the metaverse, with five campaigns that we launched in, inside 12 months that each sold out instantly. So we know our product resonates, we know what we do, touches consumers, and we stay focused on, the, on our strategy to grow our toy business and at the same time capture the full value from our intellectual properties. All right. I think your stock is worth substantially more.
3: I first met you. You told me be careful, be careful, be careful. Now you've got a triple point. You told me you can get a quadruple. Don't let people take the company from you. Enon cries, who is the chairman and CEO of Mattel. Another fabulous quarter. I'll see you July 21st. What I have, what, fifth row seats? Wait, Where's my seat? Exactly. All right. Thank you. Great quarter. MAT. Yeah, this, wow. I cannot believe how good that was. have Money's back after the break.
5: Coming up, when the consumer's cash is crunched, should investors play this card? Visa's knockout quarter in an inflationary world, next.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business.
3: Great things can still happen. Who could have imagined? Last night, we got just a simply magnificent quarter from Visa. Yes, the payments tightened. And the stock surged more than 6%. That is a big-cap stock. Going to the quarter, there were some legitimate concerns here, like the fact that Visa gets 4% of its sales from Russia at a time when nobody wants to do business with them. Yet when Visa reported, they really did knock it out of the park. The company delivered a 14-cent earnings beat of a buck sixty-five basis, much higher than expected revenues, up 27% year-over-year on a constant currency basis. They had 30% earnings growth, and much of that's fueled by a massive uptick in cross-border transactions. I thought that those didn't even happen anymore. Remember, is one of those rare companies that benefits from inflation, too. Take a tiny percentage of every transaction they process, uh, Higher prices translate into more money for them. But it was the it was just the straight-out execution here. Given that the stock's still a long way from its highs last summer, I would not be surprised if this Dow stock's got a lot more room to run. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Al Kelly, the chairman CEO, CEO of Visa. You get a better rear in the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Kelly, congratulations. You had the best stock, best numbers of any stock in the Dow. Welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Jim, great to be with you and your listeners. Thank you very much. It was a very nice quarter for us. We're uh, very happy about it.
3: I, I'm going to give you the floor to give some percentage numbers, yours versus three years ago. Thank you for providing them. You make it very easy for things like for how U.S. did, cross-border did, and how the just the payment vibe. because I couldn't believe these when I read them.
1: Yeah, look, look about uh, a year ago, we started a very robust recovery, and But for uh, five or so hiccup weeks uh, with Omicron from mid-December to mid-January, it's been a heck of a good recovery. And uh, with this past uh, quarter, we did uh, 57 billion transactions, 635 million a day, 433,000 an hour. And uh, that was up uh, big time over the prior year, purchase volume up 17%, up 44%. In Latin America, up 21 percent; in Europe, up 16 percent; uh, in the United States, and even in Central Europe and Middle East and Africa region, we were up 18 percent. And that's the region that is Russia, and it had no volume for the last uh, three and a half weeks of the quarter because of our suspension of our of our business in in Russia. So the fact of the matter is, across all of uh, industry verticals and in most markets, with the exception of some. Markets in Asia that are still somewhat locked down. Uh, the consumer is out uh, spending. The consumer is out uh, traveling. Domestic travel is back over 2019 levels in almost every country. And you re- you referred to Jim to cross border uh, cross border volume a-, a year ago was only running at about 40 percent of 2019 levels. The last you know the year pre pandemic year, and uh, we reached a. Uh, Uh, around 82% in this past quarter. And by the end of the quarter, it was running at about, exit rate was about 90%. And for the first three weeks of April, we've been at 94% of 2019 levels for cross-border travel, which is pretty incredible considering Asia is still very much in a lockdown mode. But corridors like uh, North America, uh, I should say the United States and Canada to the Caribbean and Mexico, parts of Europe to Greece and Switzerland, are just going like uh, gangbusters. Well,
3: Al, I mean, isn't it true that you could have very easily said, you know what, our second largest market, we shut. Uh, so sorry that we couldn't do the numbers. I mean, I don't think people realize Russians carry a lot of credit cards, don't they? They sure do, Jim. Uh, it's about a billion
1: dollars of revenue for us on an annualized uh, uh, basis. And uh, it's, a, it's also a very sophisticated and innovative uh, uh, market. So it, it's a very big deal. But at the end of the day, uh, over the last you know nine quarters when we've been going through this pandemic, our people have been working really hard at developing new relationships, increasing the number of credentials out there, uh, getting more uh, acceptance points out there. And we're starting to see some of the flow through of that hard work that we've done And we're not even all the way there in terms of uh, seeing it. And I I think that, uh, you know, barring something that I don't see right now, I think volume is going to continue to do quite well. And, uh, you know, my objective is over time that uh, we're we're somehow figuring out a way to make up for the revenue loss in Russia. It won't be easy, but we'll go at it every day and uh, we don't make excuses. We keep trying to charge forward to make sure that we're doing everything we can To grow our
3: business. So you and I are both positive guys. So posit this for me, because this is what I need you to hear. more. I need your analysis on this. Is it possible that the consumer can stay strong, but the economy can slow to get rid of some of this inflation? So the average working person who's got a visa in the pocket does not get hurt. And there's actually slower inflation. And we kind of end up in a pretty great world next year.
1: I think it's distinctly possible, Jim. Um, the reality is that uh, employment levels stay high. in fact, in, uh, it really seems to be a uh, a supply world in terms of uh, employment as as we've seen the great resignation and and lots of movement of uh, people. But the reality is that uh, I think that consumers are sick of being in their homes. Uh, the pandemic was fantastic in terms of driving. More and more people, millions of people went to their iPads or their uh, uh, mobile devices to shop for the first time ever online. And that's going to be sticky as can be because people realize how easy it is. But people want to get back out. They want to go visit friends and and relatives. They want to start knocking things off their bucket list again. And after being uh, really not locked up for two years, I think they want to get out to stores. They want to get out to new cities. They want to get out to new countries. So I happen to be uh, pretty positive that the consumer is going to stay quite strong. It's possible that um, inflation slows down some categories. Okay. I mean, typically fuel, we see that. You know, fuel prices go up. Obviously, transaction sizes go up. But eventually, sometimes a consumer will adapt and buy a little less gas, maybe get in the car a little bit less. We'll have to see how that plays out over the coming months. But I, I remain
3: quite optimistic. Okay, now I'm a big Apple Cash user, all right? I just like it. It's because It turns out that it's by default. I didn't know how easy it was. Uh, and do you know, they report tomorrow? And I think if you're affiliated with Apple, you're with a winner. Where are you with the network? The, app, the Where is your network with Apple? Well, we have a great relationship uh,
1: with Apple on, on many, many fronts in, in many parts of the world. And we just re- recently announced a deal where we're taking over the – the position in the apple cash wallet as the virtual debit card in that in that wallet and we're very excited about the the prospect of that the migration has already begun and i think within the next uh, quarter or so it'll be uh fully done so uh we we work very closely with the, the team there uh we've got a team that works with apple they've got a team that works with us and uh they're a very innovative company with a great brand, and mm-hmm. it just makes sense to uh, make sure that two companies like ours are working as closely as we can together.
3: Total agree. Last question, now. I went to a CVS the other day, and I asked, do you still take cash? Do you still take cash? And they thought about it for a second and realized that's no longer a strange question. You gave some numbers about percentage of what was cash before the pandemic, and now cash is going away faster than you and I ever thought.
1: It is. Digitization of payments is taking off. Uh, it is amazing. Uh, we've seen in uh, uh, Latin America, for example, 56% of all transactions were cash uh, one year ago, and now it's running at about 45 46%. I mean, that kind of change in a year is just amazing. I still think cash is going to be around for a while, but people realize that Cash is uh, cash is a very expensive payment option. It costs a lot of money to to store it, to transport it, to to count it. Uh, there's fraud associated with it, et cetera. And you know you are starting to see some merchants who are uh, not accepting cash anymore. But I think it'll be with us for a while. But digitization is one of the great themes that came out of the the pandemic and is one of the things that's driving uh, our
3: business, for sure. Well, I, I have that aside. The Visa is the way to play the digitization. Plain and simple. Al Kelly, Chairman, CEO of Visa. Congratulations on an amazing quarter. Jim, thank you so much. Great to be with you. Absolutely. This is the kind of company that you can buy and put away. We've been saying that from the very beginning of the show. That's Al Kelly. He's money. Man, money's back in the packing.
5: Coming up, it's tough to build EVs. But are these EVs built tough? Ford goes all-in on the electric F-150 next.
3: Ford Motor reported after the close today, and while the results were a little confusing, they were certainly better than expected. Not only did Ford top Wall Street sales and earnings estimates, they also reaffirmed their full-year forecast. Despite supply chain disruptions and rampant inflation, the company's really doing well. Management also indicated that semiconductor shortage might ease up in the second half. At the same time, just yesterday, Ford announced the full product launch for the F-150 Lightning, the electric version of the most popular pickup truck, and the line is long to get one. That's the long-term story, and it's why we own this one big for the Chapel Trust. So let's take a closer look with Jim Farley, Ford's straight-shooting president and CEO, to hear more about what's crimping the business now and why he's optimistic about the rest of the year. Mr. Farley, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Well, I'm doing well because I'm looking at your numbers and not only do I like the better than expected, I like the cadence. It looks like the things started out a little slower, but by March and hopefully by April, things really have taken off.
8: Yeah, for sure. Boy, do we have a lot of demand for our product. I mean, everyone's saying that because they're sold out, but uh, we put a lot of pricing in the market and it's stuck.
3: Now, uh, can we try to figure out... Where exactly the strength is? We've got this internal combustible engine, and the ICE group looks really unbelievably well. Then you have the EV group. How should we be looking at Ford? Because I think both right now are on fire, but can there only be one winner?
8: (laughs) That's a good question. I would say the EV side has stronger pricing power than the ICE side today, at least at Ford. Um, but on Ford, we have the Maverick, we have the Bronco, we have our trucks that are hot. Um, but I would say once the second half, you start to see the brands uh, produce more, you'll start to see differences between brands on pricing based on their freshness of product. Where we're going to be strong will be our utilities on the ice side and our newer vehicles like Maverick and our commercial vehicles. Where we're strongest, though, is on our EV products. That's where the pricing is sticking. Where we're really seeing, you know, a lot of room for pricing.
3: All right, so Jim, I I gotta get get this thing straight because one of the things that is really bothering me. We keep hearing about the commodity costs. Okay, we keep hearing about the semiconductor. We yep. keep hearing about the idea that there be could be demand destruction. In fifty-eight words or less, can you please put an end to all this nonsense?
8: <laughs> well, first of all, the commodity pressure. The premium freight we're seeing, I mean it's really real. Uh, steel prices, spot races is basically double what we've normally seen. Aluminum's up, lithium's up, uh, co- uh, cobalt, but also nickels up. So and, and we're seeing copper up. So all the commodities, that's very real. And, and our suppliers, you know they don't have the ability to price to the consumer like we do, so they're looking for better pricing and, and accommodations. Uh, the good thing is our pricing has offset all of that. Now, we ha- I believe we're under-earning as a company, so we have more cost to do, Jim, this year, next year, next couple years, as we talked about on our ICE business. That's going to give us room to maneuver.
3: All right. Well, now, I've talked to three of your predecessors uh, when they report, and it was always the same conversation, 7.40 in the morning. I'd say, are you willing to continue to lose money in South America? Are you willing to continue to lose money? Fill in the blank. It was like playing geography. Where are you willing to lose money? You don't seem from these numbers to be willing to lose money
8: anywhere. No, we made money overseas. Honestly, of all the highlights this quarter, that's the one. I went over and hugged my team outside of China with the lockdown. We made money in in South Africa. In in Australia, we made money. In Europe, we made money. In South America, made 9% return. Holy cow, we haven't made 9% return in South America since the currencies were out of whack. Well, should that be the story or should the story be that you have 200,000 signups
3: for the F-150? And by the way, the the Lightning, could you give me the real number? I think you have 200,000 signups because that's all you can make. What would be the real number if you could make (laughs) 500,000?
8: I think think the running rate at the current pricing is probably around – Two hundred to three hundred. I just don't know because we're we're only capacitized for one hundred and fifty thousand, and and that's the number of batteries we can get. But I think the demand is is higher than we we think ourselves. Um, you know, I I think we're we're seeing a, a, a very um, a very interesting market today more than I've ever seen in my career. Um, where our EV business is doing well, our ice business in certain areas is very strong competitively. But Ford has to solve a couple problems, and that's on me. The first is our warranty and recalls. we made great progress on launches. You know, we launched on time. That's great for Lightning. Uh, We launched the E-Transit on time. That's great. We still have more work to do on warranty costs. It's very expensive. And the second thing is, we got to get past the chip issue. We had a couple of really bad commodities that held up our most profitable units and we think that's an area where we have upside in the second quarter, second half.
3: All right. So I buy my maverick in March of last year. I get my Maverick this year. Unacceptable. Right? Unacceptable. Even though I like the Area 51 blue color. Yep. Uh, now, but you're sold yeah. out. So I didn't I understood it. You're sold out Maverick. You're sold out, you're sold out Bronco. I mean, you're sold out of everything. So that means
8: you've got us put a lot of money into new factories. Or am I missing something? Yes. No, that's the case. We've got a capacity increase going where, where Maverick is. We have a capacity increase on super duty. And of course, our EV capacity is exploding. We're going to go from basically zero to 600000 in the next 18 months. So we are investing a lot right now. But the pricing is, is very robust because of that freshness in the lineup. And again, we have more cost work to do at right. Ford. That's going to be upside for our financial performance.
3: All right, so Jim, when I hear EV and I hear these numbers, I think all the other countries are subsidizing. Okay, so I know Musk, whatever. Let's leave Musk out of the conversation for 38 seconds. But I look at it and I say the government should help you. Okay, you got a big union contract coming up next year. It's in everybody's interest for Ford to do well, just like it was in 1940, 41, when Roosevelt said, we need your help. And the other guys, by the way, you know, everybody had to pitch in. What I want to know right
8: now is, is the government going to help you in order to get all these EVs? We will see. They need to help us in three areas. The first is the most critical. We are at a deficit versus China and Europe. On consumer incentives. We need to help regular Americans transition to this technology. Yes. You drive the F-150 Lightning, it's a great truck. We need continuity and predictability on some support for, for regular folks. And uh, I'm talking to all the government leaders, so are all my colleagues. That's number one. We need permitting. We need to move faster on mining permitting and faster on permitting for processing to move it from Asia and Africa back to North America. We need help on all those three areas. All right, look, I hope they
3: give it to you because it means a lot to our country. Of course, it means a lot to Ford Motor shareholders. Yes. I want to thank Jim Farley, CEO of Ford. I know you've had I – mean, get some sleep, man. I mean, what, is it 48 hours, a lot of Red Bull? <laughs> How you doing? Is it Red Bull? I, I don't need any sleep. I just hang out with you. Yes, <laughs> that's Same what I energy. want to hear. Congratulations on a great quarter <laughs> and on a good year. Jim Farley, CEO of Ford Trust, owns it, wants to buy more. Thank you. Thank you. And money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. So, and then the light round is over. Are you ready to keep that? Total? The light round comes 10 in Texas. Ken!
2: Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my question. Wait, what, what, uh, today, it's pertaining to the mining conglomerate Vale. Uh, Vail? Do you dig Vale?
3: Nope. Too late. That was a good time at one time. Not now. Joseph in Florida. Joseph. Hey, Jim. I have an energy company for you. This company has a lot of pricing power. These products are highly specialized. All right. When the price of oil is up, they do well. What are your thoughts on NOV? NOV, the the old National Oil Barco. Mr. Williams is a fantastic CEO. I say yes to that. Richard in Texas. Richard. Richard! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Tired of the shorts messing with my Academy Sports. Academy Sports? There are too many shorts in there, and they keep knocking the darn stock down. I can't take it anymore. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
5: The Lightning Round. Is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, rob from the rich and give to the investors who bought Robinhood at the top. Kramer on the decline and fall of an empire that never was. Next.
3: Now that we finally have a decent day, I feel like i got enough leeway here to focus on a truly sad story. The decline and fall of Robinhood, or at least its stock, which has plunged from $85 last August to $9 today. Last night, Robinhood had to lay off 9% of its staff. With their heyday over, they had no choice. I'm a huge believer that capital markets can help regular people create wealth over time. But sadly, it looks like they're fleeing the markets after a brief months of success, and some of it has to do with Robinhood. What went wrong here? Well, first, there's a problem with the concept of Robinhood itself. I was a huge believer, probably the biggest believer in the Robinhood revolution, powered by easy access and commission-free trading. Even if if you didn't necessarily get the best execution on those trades, that's another issue. In retrospect, we spent way too much time focusing on the lack of commissions, not enough time teaching people how to invest. The first iteration of Robinhood pre-COVID was the most encouraging time. People were using the app to make decisions about stocks that were, from what I can tell, informed by a terrific merger of what you know, think Microsoft, Facebook, or Amazon, and how the company's doing. And that's what I like to teach, first the product, then the company. If you can't analyze the company, you know you can always put your money in an index fund. Robinhood made it easy, so easy as possible. And, And I'll always be a champion of accessibility. To me, this felt like a second wave of democratization for the stock market, not unlike the rise of electronic trading in the 90s. Then we had the pandemic and the government stimulus checks. That created a more freewheeling atmosphere where young traders felt they were gambling, I think, rather than investing. And when you gamble, well, what do you do? You want the highest risk instruments, meaning options. At my old hedge fund, you may not know this, I was one of the top five biggest options traders in America. So believe me when I say that the vast majority of people lose everything when they trade puts and calls. And I, I had more knowledge than they did, believe me. Sure enough, in June of last year, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA, Fine Robinhood, a huge amount of money, okay? Actually, it was the highest fine ever levied by FINRA. And some of that was because of well-known outages, like March of 2020, which made it so clients couldn't trade fast enough in the bear market. You remember the bottom of the pandemic. Uh, they also said that Robinhood, quote, misled millions of customers, misled, quote, millions of customers who received false or misleading information from the firm, end quote, as well as thousands of customers who are, quote, Approved to trade options, even when it was not appropriate for the customers to do so. Bingo. In other words, Robinhood didn't protect the clients from themselves, even as they would argue vociferously that they had the adequate controls and educational products at hand. Now, you might say, so what? It's their own darn fault. But from my experience working with wealthy people at Goldman Sachs, I can tell you it's also the broker's fault. I think many of the people who fled the market left, not because they were in some sort of hellish moment, but because they were using high risk instruments to trade without any knowledge of, well, let's just say the risks. Or let me put it this way. It's very unusual to lose everything when you buy a stock. But when you buy options, losing everything is the easiest thing in the world. I know I repeatedly asked Robin Hood whether many people were trading options. I was basically told them not to worry about it, not to worry about it, as if that was some sort of answer. They also always, 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 and then had the a fourth always said that they were spending a huge amount of money, on, money uh, on education compliance. My take, if they did, if they really did, they did wrong. They made it too easy for people to lose money, period, end of story. I think a big percentage of the 22 million customers Robin had at its peak never should have gone your options. They either weren't suitable for these instruments or they weren't knowledgeable enough. Now they've been blown out. And with fewer clients, Robin's business has taken a huge hit. Should have preserved them when you had them. When you're in the brokerage business, you got to do at least the bare minimum to keep your clients from blowing themselves up. I don't think these people will come back. They bought what was wrong for them. Sure, they should have known better, but in my opinion, the good folks at Robinhood could have done more to keep these young people from hurting themselves too. That's what they needed to do. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. This was Trevor Smith Starts Now.